to our scriptures, and if you would, go ahead and turn to uh, John chapter 2. John chapter 2, and we'll be, uh, I'm sorry, not John, but 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and we'll be in verses 15 through 17. 15 through 17. And even as I do that, um, for you guys who are out there uh, watching the streaming service, um, I want to say, first of all, thank you to all the folks here who are helping out, uh, the music team who are helping out, and as well as Jay and Mercy who are doing the recording. Um, it's a little odd to be up here all alone and not have you folks at home here to cover all our mistakes. So thank you so much uh, for uh, you guys overlooking those mistakes. Um, there's a lot of things we could think about and talk about as we come to this passage today. But I want to just bring to you, first of all, this statement that the world is a very dangerous place. The world's a dangerous place. Over the last week, we've seen just how dangerous this world is. And as we turn to our passage today, we're going to see that John is communicating to that to us here. He is saying the world is a dangerous place. But it's not like the danger that we face in our current crisis. It's a little different. So we're going to look in God's Word and see just what He means here. So let's read our text as we look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Hear the Word of the Lord. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this text. Thank you that it falls in a time like this where we can understand a little bit more about this world and our hearts and your desire and care for us. I just ask, Lord, that by the Holy Spirit you would penetrate our hearts and minds and we would see Jesus and our hearts would be lifted up and our hope and faith would be in you and you alone. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are currently in a series in 1 John called Assurance in an Uncertain World. And boy, do we need assurance in this uncertain world. Well, John has written this letter to Christians and he has been challenging us on several levels, encouraging us to understand what it is to have assurance. And now for the first time in this letter, he gives us a commandment. I want you to think about that. For the very first time in this letter, he gives us a commandment. And as he is continuing along in the letter, we are not only called out of darkness into light to love God and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, but here as we come to this command, we are called not to love the world. Not to love the world. Now this command is a warning that he is, is strongly giving to us and he is pressing into our hearts because we see automatically as we read the passage that six times he uses uh, the term the world in this passage. Uh, so what does it mean 
uh, not to love the world or the things in the world? Why is it so bad? And what does it have to do with you and with me? What we want to consider today is this. All believers need to understand that there is a daily competing rivalry for your heart. A deadly conflict between love for the Father and love for the world. So that we may understand this, let's consider three key truths in this passage. The first truth is this. The world is indeed a dangerous place. Truth number two is is that we must recognize the characteristics of of loving this world. And then secondly, we must receive the truth that worldliness is not what we need actually to love God is. So let's look first of all, we must realize the world is a dangerous place. We do really understand that a little bit more now today, don't we? Uh, We understand that things can be perilous, that things can be dangerous, that we are frail creatures. And yet John is getting at something a little deeper here, and, and we must understand what he means by the world in this text. In his writings, he mentions the world often. In verse 2-2, we see that the world's sin stands in need of Christ's cleansing blood. Elsewhere, John says that the world is under control of the evil one. In other places, John notes that the world is under God's judgment and it lies in darkness and sin. If you were to flip back in the Bible, you would look in James. And in James' letter, in verse 4-4, he says that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Jesus Himself says in the Gospels that no one can serve two masters. Either you serve God or mammon, which is actually a broader connotation of meaning for serving the world. Yet, in John 3.16, Jesus tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. So, if God does love the world, why shouldn't His children... What is John really saying here? What's going on? What does he want us to know? It's important for us to understand that the New Testament refers to the world in several different ways. We need to remember that. That the way the Scriptures uses words, it can be used in different ways. And this is the way with the word uh, or the term in the world. And so first of all, Let's look at how Scripture says, uh, talks about the world. It first refers to the world as the earth, the universe, the created order. Matthew 16, 26, for example, says, For what will a man profit if he gains the whole world, the whole universe, so to speak, the whole created order? And then Jesus adds this and forfeits his own soul. This has to do with the earth, the physical earth, the cosmos, that which is created by God. Secondly, world can mean in the inhabited earth, specifically, for example, human beings. In John 3.16, you know, we just used that text a moment ago. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
This has in view, obviously, people all over the globe. So that's the second way in which the world is used in the Bible. But thirdly, world as in this passage means this. It means evil men over against God. It has to do with the sum of total fallen humanity. Total, uh, total fallen human life and culture. The ordered world considered apart from, alienated from, hostile to God. With Satan as its head. Whether organized into social institutions and powers and structures or practiced as individuals. The world in this passage has, in other words, a darker, sinister meaning. And here John points out that it is a dangerous place because it stands for an organized system that hates and openly defies God and His Son. It is the enthronement of something other than God as the supreme object of man's interest and his affections. It's dangerous. And it's dangerous still for Christians because it remains a great temptation. You may or may not remember a person uh, mentioned in the New Testament by the name of Demas. Uh, Demas was a traveling companion of Paul's. And not only that, but he was a, a very close friend of Paul's. And he participated in spreading the gospel alongside Paul and his companions. He was engaged with the strengthening of the church throughout the Roman Empire. He was a dear brother who stood by Paul in times of great trial. And you can read of him sending his greetings to the church in Colossae and uh, to Philemon. One author says of him, he would, he would appear to be a model Christian, a guy we would all admire, respect, and want to emulate. Yet, a postscript in Paul's second letter to Timothy forms his epitaph. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Do you see how dangerous the world is? Think about it. Demas had, had, had recognized Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He acknowledged Him. You know, he traveled with Paul proclaiming Christ and evangelizing and making disciples. He taught God's Word. He was a close brother to, to the, the Christians in that time. And yet, with this present world, having the love of this present world. He deserted Paul. And more importantly, he deserted Christ. If you think about it, this is a sting as we read it in the Scripture. It's, it's you know, a kick in the gut. It's a slap across the face. It could be any number of preachers that you may know. It could be any number of missionaries it could very well be any number of us. Why is that? Because the world is a dangerous place. So how do we understand the worldliness that John is speaking of here? Intimately enough that we may not be seduced and follow the way of Demas. How do we do that? Well, 
that's why we're coming to our second truth. Our second truth is this. We must recognize the characteristics of loving this world. We must recognize the characteristics of loving this world. We see here in verse 16 that the world manifests itself in the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. These are characteristics of loving this world that John uses that we may understand the depth of what's going on here, that we may understand the, the depth and the lure of worldliness. So let's take a closer look at these characteristics. First of all, there's a desire of the flesh. This points to the gratification of our fleshly desires. The Dictionary of New Testament Theology notes that flesh refers to the outward-oriented Uh, The outlook oriented towards self, that which pursues its own ends in self-sufficient independence of God. This phrase then refers to any and every desire of man and rebellion against God for the things in the world, all that panders to our desires, to our appetites. It implies a desire for all that is materialistic, egocentric, exploitive, And selfish. Think about it. This is Eve. Back in the garden. When everything was perfect. When everything was beautiful. When everything was sinless. And she saw. That the fruit. Was good for food. I picture this in my mind. Like the old story. That you've heard probably again and again and again. Of how an Eskimo. Would would be able to kill a wolf. Because he desired the meat or he desired the fur. He would take his knife and he would sharpen it really sharp. And he would keep sharpening until it was like a razor. Then he would take that, that, that knife and he would pour seal blood on it and let that freeze. And he would do that again and again and again. So that knife became like a popsicle, so to speak. He would take the hilt of that knife and he would drive it in the snow, hoping that a wolf would come along and smell, maybe from some distance, this, this, this blood in the air. And then the, the wolf would be drawn to it and come there and begin to lick the knife. And he would lick the knife and he would f- taste the blood and he would just, his desire for that blood would just become in just deep, deep ingrained and he would crave it and he would just keep going and keep going and keep going until his tongue become, became cut and then he would begin to lose blood himself and then die right there. That's how I envision this. What do your desires reveal about you? How are you directing them? You see it every day. One small taste that leads to being controlled by desire. That leads to be establishing an idol in our hearts. Which leads to our ordinary pleasures being destroyed. It leads to an openness to betray even our closest friends. Our closest family. Even the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. For our idol, whatever it happens to be, for the love of this world, we would crave it and desire it and go after it and pursue it with all of our hearts. That's the warning that John is giving us here. The second characteristic that John points out is the desires of the eyes. 
theologians, it meant that this can refer to sexual lust. But here, they believe, and I believe too, with the way that the, the passage reads, that it has a broader meaning, that, that, it, that it means everything that entices the eyes. It is, as one theologian put it, the tendency to be captivated by outward, visible splendor and show. The basic thought is of greed and the desire for things aroused by seeing them. John Scott maybe puts it best. He kind of colors in the, the, the biblical picture for us. He reminds us again of Eve and the forbidden tree. As in it's said in Genesis, it was a delight to the eyes. And so she wanted it. She saw it. It was beautiful. She wanted to touch it, to hold it, to taste it. What about Achan? Achan's covetous sight of, of a beautiful Babylonian garment. I've got to have that garment. It was a great sin against the Lord, but he wanted it. He saw it. He lusted after it. He desired it. And we all know the story of David as he stands on that rooftop and he looks lustfully at Bathsheba, at her beauty, her skin tone, her body as she bathed. The law sees this, Stock continues, as the love of beauty divorced from the love of goodness. So what images have the power to arouse your interest? What does what you look at and how you look at it reveal about who you are? About what captivates you? About what you love? The third characteristic that John lays out for us is the pride of life. The pride of life. This is the outward show, the outward display that is established as security. My security is in what I own, my power, my gifts, my talents. It is to stand like the Pharisee in Jesus' parable and to thank God that I'm not like these other people. It means I look out for myself, that I am self sufficient and independent in my possessions and in my external circumstances. The following excerpt is an ancient caricature by Pultart of the self-important fool, the Elzon. He says, the Elzon is the kind of person who will stand on the mole and tell perfect strangers what a lot of money he has at sea and discourse of his possessions and his investments, how large they are and what gains and losses he has made. And as he spends his yarns, he will send his boy to the bank, his, his balance being a shilling. If he enjoys company on the road, he's apt to tell how he served with Alexander the Great and how he got along with him and how many jeweled cups he brought home. And he will discuss the, how the Asian craftsmen, no matter what we may think of the Europe craftsmen, the Asian craftsmen are, be are better. But he's never been away from Athens. You get the point. As the commentator Hamilton notes, one of sin's fingerprints is its consuming passion to praise the self. Again, 
Go back to Genesis. It all started with Eve. The tree was to be desired to make one wise. The pride of life. And so she took the fruit. For us, perhaps the outwardness of this braggadocious boasting would never cross our minds. And yet inside, the temptation is real to take pride in our work, in our talents and our abilities, our physical appearance, our possessions, our accomplishments or who we know just because it's us. Without ever considering that we were given all of this from the Lord. Perhaps we secretly revel at what we have. Or what we've done. This is the pride of life. So how do you define yourself? How does your profile read? How do you want to be known Do you think of yourself as the person with the impressive whatever it is, fill in the blank? What does what you find security in reveal about who you are and what you love? We are warned here that these craving desires, these lusts, these boastings are characteristics of those who love this world. And here's the thing, they reflect a short-term perspective. The desire and intention to be satisfied and honored here and now. In contrast, though those who love the Father have a long-term perspective and wait for God's reward. John tells us and. Our third point, that we must receive the truth that worldliness is not what we need. What we need is to love God. So after highlighting these characteristics of the world, uh, John lays before us the futility of loving in the world. He, uh, the ordered world that is considered apart from and alienated from and hostile to God. And so first of all, John tells us that if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you look at the end of verse 15, you'll see that. We cannot love the world and love the Father. Remember what Jesus said. Remember we spoke about it a few moments ago. Um, Jesus says you cannot serve both God and mammon. So what we've got to do, brothers and sisters of Christ, is, is receive this truth, is believe it, because everything in us wants to say that's just not true. I can do that and I can love the Father. I can hold on to this and I can love and love God. But that's not what the Scripture says and that's what John is, is warning us against here. And so where do you trust the things of this world over the Lord? Where do you love the things of this world over the world? Let me ask you this. How has this current global crisis revealed those idols? I mean, this is a time to really evaluate our hearts and to think about what will we love? What will we love? Brothers and sisters of Christ, confess them. Uh, Repent and turn to the one that you can truly and fully trust. 
Secondly, in John 17, John tells us that the world and its God-hating system is passing away with its desires. It is the essence of foolishness to love what is in the process of passing away and heading for eternal oblivion. The Puritan John Owen called this living affections to dying things. Living affections to dying things. One of the marks of a believer is that they have come to realize the attractions of this world for what they are. Attractions that are passing away. So here's the thing. Maybe you're sitting at home and you've been streaming all weekend. In the words of Queen Elsa, let it go. Just let it go. One commentator puts it this way, all the vanity of this evil world with its devices is passing away. It is already beginning to putrefy. It is a corpse not yet buried. But the person who really does the will of God has the breath of life. And that's how John ends this passage. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. John is positively highlighting the glorious future of what lies before us who make God's will and Him as a person as we look upon Him and not the world's passing away, the things of the world that is passing away as we make Him our object of our desire. We are safe and secure. Jesus said this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To abide forever then is to live in communion with God in the glory of His nearness, His close presence to be in perfect shalom. Will you pursue the deceptive temporary pleasures of this world? Or will you pursue Christ Jesus and His kingdom will which contains the promise of eternal life? John Owen said this, when someone sets his affections upon the cross and the love of Christ, he crucifies the world as a dead and undesirable thing. The baits of sin lose their attraction and disappear. Fill your affections with the cross. With the cross of Christ. And you will find that there is no room for sin or love for the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together this morning. I pray for your peace. Forgive us. Hope. To give us mercy and grace. I pray that we would sit your peace in this time of trouble. That we would give our hearts over to considering the idols of our hearts as we have time in this uh, 
time of being separated from others. Uh, that we would take advantage of this, Lord, for your glory. Father, I pray that you would be our desire. That you would be our want. That you would be first and foremost. And growing more and more so every day. In that way. As we look toward you. We thank you Father for your love. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.